0: Broadcasting from the community of the future,
1: live from the co-prosperity sphere, this is Radio Free Bridgeport, and now your host, Mr. John Daly.
0: (laughs) Hello, welcome to Lumpin' Radio, Radio Free Bridgeport, lovely Tuesday after the Super Bowl. Jamie, a soccer enthusiast as yourself, I'm sure, was excited to see Shakira doing the World Cup anthem, Waka.
1: That's right, man. That's right. And J-Lo. J-Lo, who also has some ties to uh, World Cup soccer. I believe she was at the uh, draw for the 94 games, I think it was. I think she was part of that, if I recall correctly, back in Vegas very exciting times very exciting times we've got a good show today too actually got some good stuff uh, Tim Seely is going to be joining us uh, hopefully by the magic of the phone um, he is on a tight deadline he is the founder of Devil Do, uh, Devil's Do Studio I should say based right here in Chicago he is the author of the new comic Money Shot and many other things including Nightwing from DC a bunch of Marvel stuff I think she wrote Shatter Star but he's been a long time pro so we're going to talk to him then Freako's in the studio and if I've played my card correctly today, Mr. Daly, we're going to have a mid-show appearance of what I'm told are some of the best tacos in the entire city of Chicago, All if right. I've paid my cards right. Hey, really quick, we'll call back to last week, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Boney M.,
0: was on the mo- one of the morning news shows this morning. No kidding.
1: Talking about yeah. the Iowa caucuses? No, they were just playing
0: uh, some, some random videos. Okay. I think they're listening to you out there. Maybe
1: listening to us. Well, All you right. know, there is a uh, another radio station around here that did hire a person named Janda uh, who is trying to rip off our own Shanna. So it doesn't surprise me. All right. Nothing there. All right. Hey, we're going to get Tim on the phone. We're going to play some tunes. We'll be right back on Radio Free. Welcome back to WLPN, LP
0: Chicago 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio. We have a great guest coming up. Very prolific
1: comic book artist and writer and author in fact tim seeley is joining us by the magic of the phone tim how you doing
2: i'm pretty good thanks for having me on guys yeah and thanks for
1: joining us man thanks for taking some time out uh tim i know you just started uh, teaching class over at columbia uh and i know your schedule's just totally crazy so we really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with us what, what are you actually are you teaching over at columbia are you teaching graphic arts or
2: yeah i'm teaching cartooning and then i'm also teaching a storyboarding for animation class
1: that's amazing dude
2: yeah, thanks, man, and uh, yeah, this is, thanks for having me on a real radio. I do a lot of podcasts, so I feel very legitimized by getting to be on the actual radio. Right. Yeah, but yeah. hey, man,
1: it's drive time. We're we're trying to pollute uh, people in cars, airwaves all across Chicago. So it's it's a great <laughs> thing. Um, let's start at the beginning because um, you started out uh, forming one of Chicago's very few comic studios, Devils Do, uh, and that was quite a while ago. It's almost two decades. Am I am I right about that?
2: I mean, it, when you put it in those terms, it makes it seem just really terrifying. But yeah, that's true. And we started up in um, 2001 uh, with Josh Blaylock, was the creator of that company, and started with the launch of uh, a G.I. Joe comic. Uh, and then I moved down in 2002 uh, to be an editor, and then and eventually ended up writing and drawing for it, Double Two.
1: And of course, one of the major comics that came out of that was your own creation. It was uh, Hack Slash, right?
2: Yeah, which was actually created sort of as a... Um, a means to vent my frustrations over working on G.I. Joe all the time and getting all kinds of rules about what I couldn't do. So I took the list of things I couldn't do and made a comic based all around that.
1: Well, tell us a little bit. Hackslash has, has had kind of a, a, a fitful afterlife. I know there's been some issues that have come out, but um, it's not one of your main works right now. Can you tell us a little bit about that comic, though, and how it got you to where you are right now?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, Hackslash was uh, basically uh, an, a chance for me to write for the first time as a monthly series. Uh, and I decided, you know, instead of having to do research and, and try to look up things I'd, I didn't know, I would write what I knew. And what I know is B-movies and bad slasher movies. So uh, Hackslash became sort of this homage to that genre, but it was also about sort of subverting the, the tropes of that genre and also kind of playing up the to the idea that I was seeing at the time, and now this is, you know, almost 20 years ago, this influx of new um, women readers into comics, a lot of which were these sort of punk rock goth girls that were sick of you know, the sort of standard things that were being uh, created for them entertainment-wise. So Cassie became this um, monster-fighting uh, goth girl with a bad attitude and, uh, and, a, and a sweet relationship with her partner, Vlad, who kind of looks like, a, like a, a nicer version of Jason Voorhees. And, uh, yeah, I have done the book pretty consistently for... Um, almost 16 years, uh, we just did a 15th anniversary issue, um, and uh, kind of the way we do it is, you know, wh- because it's something I own and it's not dictated by a company, I kind of do it when I have a great idea, um, and so we've done all kinds of stuff, including crossovers with, you know, with Chucky and The Crow, and, uh, and uh, most recently The Chaos Universe, uh, so we're just, we're, we're up for anything with that book, which is what makes it so cool.
0: You did a lot of work with some uh, heavy 80s IP, uh, like Masters of the Universe and G.I. Joe. Do you enjoy working with those? I mean, you mentioned some of the limitations.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I love that stuff. Um, I actually got into comics because of the Masters of the Universe toys, um, and they came with those little mini-comics. I'd never actually really seen comics because I grew up in the country um, and didn't have access to a comic book store until much later. So those comics that came with those toys were what introduced me to this medium that I kind of fell in love with. So, um, you know, in Master's Universe, it's kind of just been like, you know, I guess I kind of have become an expert. I'm like, I'm known as the guy who knows He-Man. Uh, my brother and I wrote a book about the, uh, the art of Master's Universe, and that translated into me writing some of the comics. So currently I'm working on a series for DC called Masters of the Multiverse and it's sort of like if you took uh, Into the Spider-Verse and switched out Spider-Man and put all the versions of He-Man that have existed.
1: Who, who Was it actually Jack Kirby that did the original designs for He-Man? Am I right about that? Uh, no,
2: but he was heavily um, borrowed from, I think is okay. the accurate version of that. Uh, He-Man kind of started out uh, in a couple like a weird fusion of things where uh, they were going to do a toy line for Conan, and they were going to do a line for Jack Kirby's fourth world comics. And neither of those things worked out, but they had all these sketches laying around of uh, of all these things, and they kind of combined them to make kind of Conan versus the fourth world is really what it kind of ended up being. Yeah.
0: Are there any callbacks to the live-action uh, Masters of the Universe?
2: Not only are there callbacks, one of the main characters <laughs> is 1987 uh, Dolph Lundgren, He-Man. He's uh, one of the main characters in the book, and he's uh, running across the multiverse in his little black uh, bikini shorts and a laser gun fighting off the bad guy. So, and uh swinging his mullet all over. So, yes, we definitely take a deep dive.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, of course, you know, Tim, you've been a very prolific author. You've worked for DC. You've worked for Marvel. And can you tell us a little bit about the, your career arc going from, you know, an independent house, putting out your own work, to kind of playing in other people's sandboxes? Because it is a very different thing.
2: It is. It is. I think, I mean, In comics, and the way it's traditionally worked, is sort of, there's like the majors and the minors, and and the the majors, you know, that being Marvel and DC, kind of want to see you uh, flourish in the minors before they have any interest in you, or they want to hire somebody who comes from another field who already got famous, so like, you know, if your dad's a famous director, or if you wrote a pop song, they'll let you write comics.
1: That's Um, not a rip on current Marvel at all, now is it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just the way it is, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, and certainly, but if you kind of flourish in the minors, they'll, they'll pick you up. Um, So, you know, I was doing Hack Flash for a while, um, and I was getting hired by Marvel and DC to draw for them, um, but they weren't hiring me for writing, and I kind of realized, um, oh, it's because Hack Flash is kind of perceived as this gratuitous sort of exploitive book, even though it's not, really. I mean, if you read it, it's not, but it certainly looks that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I got smart, and I decided to do another book. Um, I did a book called Revival, which is also a horror comic, but, is you know, is all artsy-fartsy and serious and very fancy, and uh, when I wrote that, all of a sudden I was getting calls to write Batman and and stuff like that. So, um, you know, comics—it's it, it, it's always in this kind of fight with itself about being taken seriously, even though you know it's—I don't think all comics need to be super serial, you know. But uh, but that's kind of what helped me um, get hired by you know to, to write Batman and, and stuff. So I owe it to revival uh, to take that little step up.
1: Yeah, and a Revival was for Image, am I correct in that, with Mike Norton? Is that yeah, yep, right? yep, So yep, exactly. that's an interesting book that you mentioned because um, it's kind of like a, a riff. Um, I haven't read the book. I read it when it came out, um, but I haven't read it, you know, this week. So <laughs> excuse <laughs> me if I get some of the, the basics wrong, but it was kind of a riff on the left-behind thing where people that are dead are suddenly coming back to life in a community, and there are some uh, people that um, – are freaked out by that, to put it um, not too mildly. And it it takes over a town, but you've also got a dynamic between a couple of characters, one of whom is a policewoman, if I remember correctly, and uh, the mayor of the town and some other people in this very small, kind of insular, uh, pseudo-Midwestern community, as I recall. Am I I right about that?
2: Yeah, that was a great summary. I mean, it's like you read it yesterday. Well, Uh, Yeah, the the basic short pitch was, um, you know, a woman is investigating the murder of her sister, but her sister has come back to life. And, and so it was set in this small town. It's actually based on my real-life hometown of Wausau, Wisconsin. Um, and so it, it follows this sister as she tries to navigate this new world where they've been you know, uh, quarantined off because the government is worried about the spread of um, coming back to life. it's mm. bad for business. And uh, it was a pretty, uh, you know, like a, a, we call it a rural noir. Yeah. So it's kind of like a crime series set in a small town with this supernatural element to it.
1: As I recall, you also got some TV and movie interest from that, am I right?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, we're working on a movie now independently. Um, We did sell it at one point to uh, ABC or NBC. I don't even remember at this point. Um, But uh, that's a pretty common arc in in the comic book industry is, you know, to sell stuff and then have nothing happen and then get frustrated and decide to do it yourself. So. That's kind of where we are now.
1: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that process? We were actually talking with um, David Pepos a few weeks ago, and I guess um, his character, Spencer and Locke, has just been picked up, and he was talking a little bit about how it was so rare that, you know, things that came from the comic book world actually, you know, they get picked up, but they hadn't actually gotten made.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's true of not just comics, but but everything. I mean, if you think of how many news articles are optioned by, by yeah. Hollywood, it's you know, I mean, it's the really common thing is, you know, basically the, the way they, the, the current Hollywood machine works is that um, that they want to package everything. No one wants to read an original script. So, you know, they, they package things by, like, they pick up an intellectual property, and they stick a director with it and a screenwriter and one movie star, and they shop the whole thing. And if that doesn't go, then they start over, and you're back in the middle of nothing. You know, you have nothing. Um, so that's kind of how they do things now rather than, you know, in, in, in days past where someone might – you know, license something and write a great script, and then it would get turned into a film. And now it's just sort of all these, you know, everything gets stuck together. Um, and you, you, if you're smart, you know, you, you lock up your rights only for a couple of years, so if they don't make anything, you get it back. Um, I didn't do that with Hack Flash. Uh, I did do that with Revival. So, uh, le- lesson learned. You know, I, I, uh, I, I saw the wrong way to do things, and now I'm doing the right way. <laughs>
0: uh, Jamie mentioned... Uh, it- kind of a, a very large library of, of work. Have you been able to consistently produce this stuff while being in Chicago? We obviously are always interested in talking to folks that are creating yeah. here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I actually think Chicago is a great place to um, to be a creative. There's a pretty good community. Uh, it's reasonably priced. You don't have to live in your car. Um, and uh, you can you can leave L.A. Um, and, you know, you can do some business and then come back. I think that that's kind of an advantage in some ways. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I have felt the siren call of Los Angeles more than once and uh, so far I've always turned it down. I'm not really an LA guy. I love Chicago. Um this is more my kind of city. So uh I'm I'm holding out as long as I can and uh i losing friends to LA all the time and then I just you know, I I make fun of them and, and uh they while well, they bitterly complain about being stuck in traffic, so
1: Yeah. And yeah. people move back from LA. I'm case in point there, so Yeah. <laughs>
0: always curious well, what what types of things uh outside of uh obviously you're doing a lot of work you might not even have much time but uh but you're reading on your own
2: uh lately i've been doing a deep dive into some older independent stuff that um especially since I'm teaching this cartooning class i've kind of rediscovered my love for uh you know like the hernandez brothers and daniel Clow is um i've been picking up a lot of that stuff again that that's kind of like late 90s early 2000s era of um of those cartoonists, uh, and, uh, let's see what else. And I I think largely because I'm kind of, I'm superheroed out to, to a large degree, even though I I do love superheroes. Uh, every once in a while I just need to see some normal people complaining about normal life things, you know?
1: And of course, you know, speaking of that, you had a, a very long run really on Batman and, and well, one of the Robins, uh, and you're still doing stuff on that. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience because that's considered, like, you know, in a way, the creme de la creme of, of superheroes to work on.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Like, once you do Batman, it's kind of hard to, to top it to some degree. It's the he's consistently the highest selling single character in comics. He's probably one of the highest selling single characters in all of pop culture. Um, but the you know, uh, being able to sort of focus on Robin is a little bit less to some degree because I think we're still in a world that's a little bit uncomfortable about Robin and kind of he he can become a joke even though I think he's just as good of a character as Batman Um, so you know getting to write uh, Dick Grayson his original Robin both as the spy version that we did in the book Grayson and and then as the book uh, back as Nightwing um, for me was just that's like an absolute pleasure Um, Robin is one of the first comic book characters I ever saw uh, and you know was kind of um, always interested in why this guy was running around in a cape and, uh, and and had just this no concerns in the world. You know, I thought that was always a really interesting um, sort of swashbuckling kind of uh, attitude. So, um, so yeah, it was always fun for me to to write him, and still is. Uh, so I always jump at the opportunity. Um, and obviously, you know, Batman is a Cadillac of comic characters. So, so every time you do Batman, you uh, you know you know that you can go home and tell your family that, that you wrote Batman. Batman and everybody will know what
0: you're talking about. It's been interesting to watch DC transition into a lot of, uh, you mentioned uh, Robin, they now have a full series on, on Harley Quinn, and they're targeting it to the above PG-13 crowd, um, even though it's a, you know visually a, a cartoon you'd you'd probably see in the 90s.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, that's just a, I mean, I, some people would call it a good thing. I think it's a little bit of a problem is that there's this tendency to sort of age everything up as the fan base ages, they age the characters up there. And you kind of lose the, the evergreen kid market, I think, with a lot of these characters, especially in the comic book form. Um, and I think, you know, the good thing about Batman and the bad thing about Batman is that he can be appealing to adults as well. I mean, we've seen that hundreds of times in the past, you know, 30 years that um, you can make a, a Batman movie and people won't be embarrassed to say they liked it, you know. Uh, he's, he's a very serious character, in quotes. Um, but I think on the downside, you know, it kind of takes Batman away from where he thrives the best, which I think is with kids. And uh, a lot of those characters that you see spin out of that, it's the same thing, you know, where... Um, and we've been doing this since the 80s, but you can kind of adult up these Batman characters and get, you know, more... Uh, well, just less, I guess, adventure-oriented and comic book-oriented superhero
1: stuff it's interesting is that one of the first things you mentioned was um, the book that you're working on uh, Masters of the Multiverse is kind of a riff on Into the Spider-Verse and Into the Spider-Verse was one of the most refreshing Marvel films that came out precisely because you, you didn't need to have any baggage to come to it and uh, Spider-Man and all the Spider-Men were just kind of there and enjoyable um it, it's interesting i i still remain a big comic book reader and i think you've hit on a really interesting point you know it's very strange that the fantastic four have had kids that have grown up yet fundamentally really have never changed and spider-man i think has been in you know he's been what married for 14 times and still really has never fundamentally changed yet if you take them away from where they were as they were originally created they lose something And the the tension is between this huge backstory that's been created for longtime readers like myself and the fact that they're unapproachable for for new people to come in and enjoy the stuff at a a young age.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And I think about this all the time because, to some degree, the solution should be is that you, a guy like you or a guy like me, we're older and we read comics and that's great because we love the medium, but we should quit reading Fantastic Four. And if you like Fantastic Four, but you, you know you realize it's always going to be the same. It's always going to be the same sort of rehashed plots for 50 years, which is good. It should be that. Um, but you should move on and read my book, Money Shot, or something. You know what I mean? Like, you should... And if you really like, um, you know, this a sort of a science fiction story, you know, you would move on and read a, another independent comic like Saga or something like that, um, that can go adult. And we would leave these, um, you know, sort of eternal IPs to be for kids. And, and you wouldn't forced to change them and be forced to age them up Um, but unfortunately that's kind of you know the industry has sort of traded access to a new audience for this reliable audience that demands that characters grow with them you know and it's it's like a hard thing to do it's like i can't tell you like hey man stop loving fantastic four it's not it shouldn't be (laughs) like it's not you know it's not a thing i so it's just a weird place that i think is you see the comic book industry in um and you know, I mean, ideally, I, I would prefer that you just, that all these Marvel readers that are, you know, over 25 or 30 are, are starting to realize, like, hey, wait a second. They killed off and replaced Spider-Man when I was 17. They realize, yeah, and they're going to do it again. It's a way to get people <laughs> to check out the book. Um, that to some degree, that people would realize, like, okay, this is no longer for you. Once you start realizing the game, you need to move on. And please don't leave comics please read hack flash instead you know like that's and i just wish that that was an easier sell it's it's very difficult to to shake people off their um you know their ip addiction i guess what i'd call
0: it i know what you mean i mean i, I kind of I, I, I sort of aged out of um, the stories i remember reading like the first punisher war journals and i thought those were really cool and that was more of um you know, serious content, more adult content, and trans- transitory, I'd say. And I, I had a hard time kind of going back to the more fantastical kind of uh, hero stories. But then I I, I kind of got bored with that as well and, and kind of put it down for a while. And I remember around, I don't know, uh, in the early 2000s, picking up uh, Transmet and 100 Bullets, and, and that kind of just got... Everything going again, and I was fully addicted again.
2: Yeah, that's great. That and that's the transition I always wish would work, and the way it should have been, you know, is like Marvel, DC does books for kids up to like 13, 14, 15. and then you transition to like maybe at the time like Image Comics that had you know spawn a little edgier. They might have you know like some suggested spots and more violence, and then you you stay with comics. You don't know, leave. You transition to like reading, you know, Hernandez Brothers and and. And the is, and all that sort of stuff, and and maybe support more of that kind of thing. Um, that's the ideal system, I think. You know, Marvel DC have kind of, to some degree, broken mm-hmm.
1: it. Yeah, and of course, the, the so many of the, the the flip side of that though is so many comic stores really depend on older readers because we're the ones that have the money. You know, I, I don't think <laughs> sure. that. You know, uh, you know. I remember when I was a ten-year-old kid, and I didn't have two pennies to rub together. You know what I mean? So, I think I think it's a difficult thing. I but I totally agree with you in the sense that I think I think one of the pressures is that comic book fans and fans of I think, an, as you put it, an IP in general tend to be very possessive of it and tend to right. resist change. And because there's that resistance to change, the stories kind of die. You know, it's not really a story unless there's an ending and a, and a beginning, you know what I mean? Unless things kind of get refreshed. Um, it's right. just boring. And yeah. I, I think, you know, uh, unfortunately one of the problems, you know, those of us who really love comic books, as I do, and I've loved them my entire life, I still read them, um, very passionate about all kinds of comic books, in fact, from superheroes to independents to comics made in in many other countries. but. I think I'm a little unusual because most of the people that I know who are my age um, are reading comic books. Actually, probably have something seriously wrong with them. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> so you know, you said it, not me. Yeah. I did say it. You know, and and that's you know that's that's a real issue. And you know, this is a good point actually to bring up. You, you mentioned it. Your newest comic, and it is an adult comic, and you're writing it with. Um, A young woman, I believe, from who has done at least some jokes for Sad Night Live, Sarah Beatty, right at Vault Comics. You're doing a comic called Money Shot, and of course, you know we're we're regulated by the FCC, so I can't say too many things about it on the air. But obviously, this is a this is a comic for mature readers, and it is about um, a a, a space program that needs funding. So what they do is they make interstellar porn to fund their space program, right?
2: Yep, yeah, and no, I mean, and I think the book would mostly pass FCC guidelines because it itself is not porn; it's just about porn. You know, kind of in the same way that uh, maybe the Deuce on HBO is about porn, but it's not in itself specifically porn. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's and it's written with uh, Sarah Beattie who's hilarious and uh, does most of the really offensive things in the book, um, and sh- and then drawn by uh, Rebecca Isaacs, who is uh, one of the a uh, former Buffy comic book artist and one of the best in the business, I think, and colored by a dude named Kurt Russell—not uh, that Kurt Russell. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, and I think I mean, it's you know, it is intended to be that thing that I was talking about. Is is sort of hey, you you know you you like these this genre and that's great. I, I love I love this genre as well. But let's you know let's talk about something a little bit more serious and have fun with it while we're doing it. And and it's hard. The book is really about sort of America's lack of interest in science, uh, politicians' lack of interest in, in funding science because it's not an issue that, um, you know, is sexy to, to voters. So um, so it's really about that, but obviously we have a good time with it in the meantime. It's also sort of about, the you know, bringing humanity to space and what that would mean, because obviously the function of any kind of sexuality is, is just reproduction. And humans are the only uh, species on this planet, at least, really, that sort of actively uses... Sex for something else, and and so what does that mean when you go to space? And how would other societies treat sex? And how would they treat um, science and all those sort of things? So it's 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 a big subject uh, in the you know a, a very easy till delivery fun package.
1: And how's the comic book been doing? I mean, Vault's a fairly new comic publisher.
2: Yeah, I mean it's their biggest seller. Um, we've gone up in sales with every issue. We uh, had to reprint the first issue three times, and we had to reprint the first three issues twice. So um, so it's doing great. I, I, we're finding an audience. Uh, we laugh because we are consistently one of the highest um, purchased digital comics because uh, there must be some percentage of the population that feels embarrassed to plop it down uh, at the counter when they go to the comic book store. So we do very well digitally. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, people are finding it. I think, you know, the word of mouth on it is great. Um, the fact that it's actually funny and that Sarah... Um, writing so much of the dialogue uh, is really sort of appealing to people, and they know that it's in the hands of, you know, not just some guy. i am also got um, the perspective of, of women involved in this thing, as well we should. And so, yeah, it's doing great. I'm really proud of it. We got uh, extended from a five-issue miniseries to a ten-issue series, and then now we're just going to probably keep going because it's going so well.
1: That's amazing. You really should figure That's out how a way to get a brown bag to go with the digital version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Down, download one. Um, yeah,
2: we just three D print it for you. you know, get yeah,
1: to- you can pick it up. You can pick it up at your local comic book shop. Um, right. But before we let you go, there's a, we, I want to ask you just a couple more things. You mentioned there's a great comic book community here. Are there places that you go to and still get comics at and still patronize?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the best store in the city is probably Challengers Comics on Western Avenue. Um, it's run by these dudes, Pat and Dale. They know everything about comics. They have a section of their store just for kids. Um, it's definitely a place that I would recommend anybody from the city and anybody visiting the city to go to. Uh, there's another good store um, farther up on Western called Dark Tower. Uh, it's run by a dude named Mark Beattie, not related to Sarah. It's also a very good store with a knowledgeable staff um, that knows a variety of comics. And, uh, and obviously, you know, I think we're really lucky in this town to have both Chicago Comics and Quimmies. Um, Those are really good stores that service all kinds of genres and a lot of independents and a lot of zines. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, that's one of the reasons this town is so great for comics is that our access to really, really good comic book stores.
0: And you are going to be at C2E2 coming up?
2: Oh, indeed. That is, uh, that's a big one for me. So I'll be there plop down Artist Alley. I'm at uh, G1. I'll be swinging comics and toys and uh, sketches, and so everybody who's on the radio that wants to see me, please stop by.
1: Of course, that's CTV2. It's February 28th. It's coming up in McCormick Place, Uh, and Tim Seeley, who we're talking to today, will be there. Tim, before I let you go, and again, thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. I know you're on a tight deadline for a script, but just to kind of come full circle, you mentioned you're teaching over at Columbia, and you mentioned getting back into a lot of 90s independent comics. I just wondered what the message you're trying to send to the kids who are taking your classes?
2: I mean, the, the, there's a very distinct message uh, that, I'm, that I'm really pushing, and this is that comics, because they are something that can be made uh, essentially by one cartoonist, uh, are really a place to express yourself. And I think that's what's something so great about comics in general is that they are sort of this direct conduit to a creator in a way that film never is, um, and in a way that, you know, it, it's, it can be hard um, for other mediums to match, but it also allows for the reader to put themselves into it because um, the, the gutter is where you, you you put the action in, in your imagination. So I think comics is this wonderfully interactive medium that allows you to express yourself and also to interact with your audience in a way that nothing else does.
1: Very cool. Well, your website is Tim Seeley creative and that's T I M S E E L E Y creative.com. That's correct. Right. Did I get that right? Yep. Awesome. Yep. awesome.
2: I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at Hack and Tim Seeley, and I'm on Instagram at Tim Seeley. I'm really easy to find on the internet.
1: Yeah. We've been speaking with Tim Seeley, uh, Tim. the creator of Hack Slash, one of the founders of Devils Do, and current creator for just about everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Hey, we're going to be right back with uh, Radio Free. So I've got some bands coming up, more chat right after the break. <laughs>
3: Did you know you can now stream Lumpin' Radio on your favorite internet-connected devices? Just say, Hey Alexa, play WLPN. Lumpin' Radio from TuneIn. And don't forget, you can take us with you anywhere you go. Download our app in the App Store. Lumpin' Radio, make all your robots play us. This winter on I-94, Steph Cha, Don Hainer, Amanda Goldblatt, Tope Fowlerin, Michael Zapata, Gibby Haynes, Brandon Hobson, Azarine vanderbleed Genevieve West, Julia Armfield, and many more. Only on I-94, lumpen Radio's Books and Literature Show. Every summer, 11. Your vote matters. That's why every election night, Lumpin' Radio provides wall-to-wall coverage of the issues, the politicians, and the vote counts as they come in. Join us March 17th, live from 6 p.m., as our panel brings you the latest news from the polling booths and live cut-ins from the candidates. It's election night, as only Lumpin' can do it. Join hosts Mario Smith, Jamie Trecker, and John Daly March 17th at 6. And remember, your vote matters. Lumpin' Radio is proudly supported by Star Creature Universal Vibrations, a Chicago-based interplanetary record label providing contemporary boogie music for the current residents of planet Earth and beyond. Dedicated to showcasing the new and underground sounds of boogie, disco, electronic funk, and R&B, Star Creature's releases are available worldwide in a variety of formats. More information is at starcreatureuniversalvibrations.com. Star Creature. Boogie,
0: and beyond. Welcome back to Radio Free. Bridgeport on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Radio. Jamie, you never cease to amaze me. That was a great guest. Tim was a very nice man.
1: Yeah, Tim's great. And, I, you know... Um, I don't want to make a call to action, but his books are actually uh, really worth reading. I'd forgotten, you know, that he had done Revival. Uh, That was actually one of the most fun books that Image had put out in a long time. It was really well done.
0: And he's also curating some of the biggest IPs of uh, a lot of our childhoods.
1: Yeah, he is. And, I mean, you know, he hasn't done a lot of stuff at Marvel, but he did do Shatterstar, so he's worked on the X-Men. He's he's done some interesting things. And I thought the, you know, the Masters of the Universe thing is kind of cool because I like the fact that it's in a... DC universe that already has a multiverse, so they're kind of playing on that a little bit. Uh, it's it's a pretty fun read, actually. So that live-action
0: film was really a, an interesting moment. When I finally knew, like, even as a kid, I knew, like, what the hell is this? You know, it's
1: interesting you mention that because the Conan films, for some reason, I was, you know, I had, had surgery recently, so I've been kind of on my couch for a little bit, and I was flipping channels on, I think it was Prime Video or something, and I saw not Conan one, but Conan two, oh which is even more special. And then the Red Sonia with uh, Bridget Nielsen in the in the lead. That's some pretty fine filmmaking, <laughs> right there, folks. I want to I want to say that if I can recommend one thing for you. It might be the 1984 version of Red because It's up there cause with it's, Monster Squad. It's up there with Monster <laughs> Squad. There's there's <laughs> definitely something going on, and it's it's pretty different. Um, but yeah, no, good stuff. And of course, CTE2 is coming up February 28th. We usually uh, have a report from there. We'll probably try to get some more guys in to talk about comics and stuff like that, because uh, this is a big pop culture thing for the city, and it's grown into something huge.
0: It is. And last week we had a Power
1: Ranger in the studio. That is true, the Silver Ranger. She never told us, though, why she uh, doesn't get along with the Pink Ranger. Well, I think there were some issues there. I think there were some issues there. Hey, so Cross
0: last— Crossing the Zords.
1: Crossing. Speaking of issues, so we still don't know who won last night in Iowa, do we?
0: Man, did they screw that up.
1: So let's talk about this for a second because I went to bed last night— um, After watching actually the 1938 Errol Flynn Adventures with Robin Hood, because I, I, well, I I was watching the caucuses with my wife and uh, it became apparent that something was wrong. So we put on Robin Hood and, you know, Robin Hood gets made marrying in the end. And then I turned back to, I don't know, CNN or whatever, and the results still aren't in. And I said, wow, something's really screwed up here. John, my hot take on this, and you can agree with me or not, my hot take on this is that Diamond Joe Biden dodged a huge bullet yesterday because the initial reports were that he did not have viable caucuses in a lot of places and was going to place a pretty distant fourth, which I think really would hurt his campaign if that had been the headline coming out of the night. Instead, I think the news and, you know, it looks from what sketchy exit polls we have, it's it looks like Buttigieg and, and Sanders uh, did pretty well, uh, Warren and Klobuchar did okay, and, and Biden did not do well. But let me ask you, you know, I would have thought that would have been a state a former vice president would have done fairly well in. And I think he kind of dodged some some bad news. He's now able to kind of go to New Hampshire and pretend everything's fine.
0: Well, I'm reading in between the lines here, Jamie. So what you're saying is that he got on, on his old computer there and, and started uh, hacking into the app?
1: I think that Mike Bloomberg gave him some software to uh, hack. No, so,
0: so the night of the Super Bowl, to your point, there was a leaked poll – um from Iowa that basically said i think it was the Des Moines Register mm-hmm. that said that R- bernie was roughly at 28 budajich was at roughly 25 um i think i'm wrong i think it was i think actually 21% was warren i think it was sanders warren klobuchar and then um if i remember correctly biden and budajich were were tied at 15 mm-hmm. and um and then um uh Mayor Mike was at uh, twelve. Yeah, and, and so he's been
1: climbing in the polls. By the way,
0: and and yeah, I mean that that campaign just kind of, you know, just got got its feet. Although they spent a tremendous amount of money and built a huge infrastructure thus far, and they even have Mayor Lightfoot uh, suggesting that she's very close to potentially endorsing them. Um, yeah. Uh, not talking out a school. That was that was no. That's public. That's, that's public. Yeah. No. Um, sure.
1: He's picked up a lot of mayoral endorsements. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and taking a little bit of steam out of uh, Mayor Pete's yeah. um, campaign because he had he had had a lot of the U.S. Conference of Mayors behind him as well, and you see, there's it's interesting within the conference. It seems to be um, some of the the smaller town mayors, which there's a, mm-hmm. a massive amount of, and some of the larger uh, um, urban areas, kind of going one way or the other. Obviously, uh, uh, some with Pete and some with uh, right. Bloomberg, but. Um, to your point, dodging a bullet, absolutely. But simultaneously, I mean, they just – they really screwed this up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing to have some interesting piece of technology, whatever, but the whole point of the caucus is that it is very rudimentary. I mean, it's literally just moving people to one side of a room or another. And to not be able to get that right, I just think, is a, is a tremendous miss Um and, of course, the president didn't miss the opportunity to actually absolutely slam um, all of them this morning and say that he was the winner of the Iowa caucus.
1: Well, I mean, of course, he was he, he was truthfully declared as the winner by the Republicans. But he's not wrong. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it is a yeah. tremendous um, – it, it gives me real pause about the National Democratic Party establishment.
0: There was, there was a bunch of news today also that there's been um, – a, a bad working environment, I think, is a, a light term hmm. based on what the allegations were. Um, with the DNC's team that's that's putting uh, together the convention in Milwaukee, there's a bunch of lawsuits floating around. Um, yeah, bad, bad weekend for the, uh, yeah. the old Ds.
1: Well, I think there's been a lot of tension, though. You know what I mean? It seems there's a lot of stuff that still is unsettled from the Clinton-Sanders battle last time around. And uh, some of that is now coming to the surface with, um, it seems, like Biden on one side and Sanders and Warren on the other. Though I, I don't know if Warren would want to be lumped in with that, to be candid with you. No,
0: I mean, not after uh, the swipe she took a couple of weeks ago. I mean, she really tried to take uh, all the steam out of his sales.
1: Yeah, uh, and has not apparently done that yet. But you brought up Mayor Mike, and it's interesting because he just today already announced that he's going to double his ad spend – He's already spent something like $248 million. It's tremendous. It's an and enormous he's got some of pretty money. decent ads as well. Yeah, and he's going to tr- uh, double his campaign staff. And his he, he came out today. I saw something in the Times, I believe it was this morning, that he's just ignoring the first four races. He says they don't matter. They're only going to go to swing states.
0: To that point, there's two things that I, f- I found interesting as well, looking at his strategy. One is, um, seems to be squarely placed into his position on health care.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: Um, and, and its importance and, and focusing on really back to that debate about the tremendous amount of gross domestic product that's spent on health care and, and, infla- and the inflation of its costs, um, even with the Affordable Care Act and what we've done. And, and the need to stay on that as an issue, I think, is seems to be where they're, at least in this moment, really focusing uh, and trying to connect with people. Um, and second you look at um, the strategy. I didn't understand it at first. I thought, okay, this person's running as an independent. They don't have delegates in Illinois. Um, And then I realized more what you just suggested, which is that they're looking at a later play towards the summer and finding critical mass in enough states to be ready for August and be ready to have a critical mass of votes at that point and and they're also willing and an understanding that they might not be successful and the the thing that i find fascinating is that they've already said and they've already committed to their staff that they're there till december yeah and in doing so even if they don't win the primary they're going to be focused on beating president trump
1: yeah and i think that's an interesting uh strategy that some of the other campaigns could learn from frankly because um while, And I think this goes back to your point about the working environment ahead of the convention. While all the campaigns have said they want to beat the current inhabit of the White House, there's not a lot of unity. Yeah, not to that kind of end. Not not at the party level. Now, Bloomberg, of course, is richer than all of us put together in this entire ward
0: and has <laughs> a <true>. disposable
1: income <laughs> that we can't true. even think of. So he can do whatever he wants. But I, I will credit the guy for putting his money where his mouth is uh, and saying yep. – I'm going to spend it, you know, and I'm going to do it this way. So good on him. You know, I don't know how I feel about him. I thought he was a pretty decent mayor of New York. I mean, I'm not going to vote for the Republican candidate for president. So,
0: Well, I, I just uh, was reminded, you know, you're talking about mayors of New York. Uh, I, I, I didn't know this story. Another that,
1: one's under federal investigation right now, I understand. Well, I didn't know
0: this at the time. <laughs> I, that's news to me as well. I didn't know that. But – um I was passed uh, on Sunday, which was the Super Bowl and Groundhog Day, um, which was commemorated in a great commercial with Bill Murray, uh, mm. call callback to uh, the Groundhog's movie, Day, movie in, in Woodstock, Illinois. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't realize that, that Chuck from Staten Island, the groundhog of New York, had been killed in 2014.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. A horrible, tragic death. I mean, not to make light of it, but I, yeah. I didn't realize that that was like
0: that's horrible. Yeah, yeah never,
1: yeah. never give a political candidate a live animal or never a hat or a hat. No, never do that because <laughs> Those they are the can rules. they can get dropped <laughs> and died as oh my happened to. God, Purchot. could you imagine? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, healthcare expenditure. Not to harp on this, what do you think that uh, the uh, master charge. Now there's there's a couple different ways, and I should explain something. The master charge at a hospital is what a hospital will charge somebody if it's an a la carte service. So, what do you think the master charge? I had a uh, a pacemaker replacement on January twentieth. What do you think the master charge for that was? Take a guess. Twenty minute. Twenty it should be a twenty minute surgery. By the way. So I
0: have no clue, and I'm I'm trying to use my best ability to guess. Having mm-hmm. years ago been in, in in the insurance industry, and I, yeah. I couldn't even. Um, Take a step. One hundred thousand dollars. One
1: hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Okay, now what is the charge if you have insurance? Because the master charge list is an a la carte. If you have no insurance, what's the negotiated rate if you have insurance for that same surgery? Your deductible? No, no, no. It's the negotiated rate, and then your deductible kicks in off that. I have no idea. The negotiated rate was $54,000, which to me shows you kind of the insanity of the system. If we're charging people without insurance another $130,000 to make up, apparently, for a loss you're taking on insurance – Something is deeply wrong yeah. with the American health care system. And I actually wrote out a check for my entire deductible at that day at the surgery and handed it over to the nice woman who met me with a smock and a mask on. They they really want that before they cut you open. So
0: well that's not yeah. You want to make sure they got that squared away for you.
1: Yeah, they, they always you always want to get that taken care of. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, kids. So uh especially since I gotta have another one. But hey, that's another story. Well it sounds like uh Mayor Mike's on to something. Maybe Mayor Mike is on something. Hey, Frico's going to be coming up live next in Studio A. He's a solo performer. Ari Schultz is on the board. I'm going to play a real quick tune. We're going to get him going. And then we're going to have some live music right here on WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpin' Radio, and it's Radio Free. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport. It's time right now, live from Studio A, for Frico.
4: Hello. My name's Frico. Um, this first song is called False Start.
5: I'm writing it down because I thought that you might like. compassion, you still got a chance to fall Give me false start. There are a few times that I ever felt truly at peace. Close all your doors and you'll only find peace when Show some compassion you still got a chance to for her give you might
4: So this next one is called, thank you, one person audience out here. Uh, this, this next one's called, Can I See You Again?
5: I have lost a friend, though we've always been drifting apart. If you're The smell a chalk on the crosswalks, at apartments we cry, we found ourselves in a cycle every night. Love without in the night, but losing sight every morning arrangement for which we never had time. We fell in love with Into my hundred stairs to a safe place Only we can find The brightest clouds in the sky Are pushed away Swept away by one thing I Thought that everything grew straight with Proper loving and time but Nothing comes from a safe place, nothing right Nearly everything takes shape when you find Brightest clouds in the sky Are pushed away by the wind The greatest thing in my life Was swept away by wind
4: real quick. Oh, do, 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 do. So this next one's called "Holding On People. We're gonna get a little happier for a second.
5: start to twirl like a dancer on bloody toes, an electric world circus created by a brain cramblers crawl up to your feet. Are you ready now? Are you ready now? Vision is changing, a fever is a dream. Watch it now. A crowd of people look down on Shake off the track, what remains of you? Spent in so fast, he had come to his senses at last. Procrastination got him stuck at the station.
4: Thank you. That one was called Holding On People. It's funny, I'm like by default saying thank you. There's like nobody here. Um, <laughs> uh, so that last one was called Holding ba- Holdin On People. I'm tuned back up. Or no, why am I tuning up? This one is a cover. It's by Mitski. It's called My Body's Made of Crushed Little Stars. <clears throat> one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four.
5: I'm not doing anything I'm not doing anything My body's made of crushed little stars And I'm not doing anything I wanna see the whole world I wanna see the whole world I don't know how I'm gonna pay the rent I wanna see the whole world So kill me, Jerusalem Kill me, Jerusalem Kill me that and kill me. I better ace that interview. I better ace that interview. I should tell them that I'm not afraid tonight. I better ace that interview. I would better under a deadline. I would better under a deadline. I should tell the world I'm gonna disappear. Until then, Until then I should try again. 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 So kill me, Jerusalem. Kill me, Jerusalem. Kill me, Jerusalem. Go ahead and kill me.
4: Once again, the one was a cover by Minsky. it's called My it's Made of Crystal Stars. This next one is called Shimmer. Um, so the only one I've played so far that's actually on like Spotify and everything is, um, hold on people, the rest of these are gonna be recorded in early March. So yeah, we're excited to do this with a full band. So yeah, this one's called Shimmer. <laughs>
5: It seems now. it gets under your skin don't cry and if i ask you where you've been don't lie it's the sad but honest truth when you die
4: Was called Shimmer. Uh, T. Um, and this next one is called. Uh, uh, why am I blinking? Mm. Oh, see uh, And then we're playing. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. Gotta put the capo on. This one's called Half as Far. There we go. I like fake that I remembered it, but now I actually remembered it. <laughs> it's called Half as Far.
2: Thank you.
5: To be In this sea of dying stars, you can hold this dying heart, but it only hurts the same as doing twice as much but moving half as far. to me in the sea of dying stars you can hold this dying heart but it only hurts the same as doing twice as much
4: So that one was called Half as Far. This next one, I got a couple more. This next one is called um, In and Out. Yeah.
5: Don't spend a break in. Yeah
4: It's called and not um, I'm gonna take a little drink here. Yep, this is the last one. perfect. Um, okay, so I just wrote this one today, so yeah, we'll see how
5: this goes. <clears throat> you descend? Can these pride trials end? Can we try, try to pretend, to pretend? like a glove burned to the these pride trials end, can we try, try to pretend, to pretend we may amends?
4: Thank you. I'm Frico. You can look up on Spotify, F-R-I-K-O. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.
1: And that was a live John Daly session out in Studio A with our own Ari Shellist. With Frico, we're gonna take a real quick break, listen to some tunes, and we're gonna come back and talk to Nico real quick after the break.
0: Welcome back to WLPN LP Chicago one oh five five FM. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio, and we just had a live session from Frico. We've got
1: Nico in the studio. Welcome.
4: Hello, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Thank you very much. Thank yeah, you for having me. So yeah, you've
1: normally got a couple other members in the band today, right?
4: Yeah, normally a three-piece. Um, <laughs> it was just a type. somebody's still in school, gotcha. so he couldn't quite make it. Tell us
0: weekend. a little bit about what you played.
4: Um, So one of those song Holding On People, is the only song that's actually, it's on like the demos record that I put out, just like recordings from my basement. Um, and then all the rest of the stuff we're recording in like early March, and then just doing that hoping to release in like late summer. But yeah,
1: the rest of that stuff is unreleased. So most of the stuff is up on demos on Spotify and on I think you've got a Facebook page too, right? Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Cool. So that's Frico F R I K O. Tell us a little more about the demos you put up, because most of this stuff I think you wrote it all, right? Mm. Didn't you write most of it yourself? Yeah, that demo is all my played and produced and wrote most pretty okay. much everything. Okay. Tell us about it. How did the how did the whole thing come to, to pass?
4: Um I don't know. I mean, very naturally. I mean, I've been playing, I used to play in a cover band in, like, middle school, and so we were just doing that, and then I started writing my own songs, and just started recording, like, straight onto the computer and stuff, and got, like, a pre-sonus, two input pre-sonus, and then just slowly moved up to, like, 8-track, and, yeah, just very naturally, just a slow move, and then recorded most of those songs between, like, sophomore and junior, senior year of high school.
1: Cool. Very cool. And you guys, as I recall, uh, Ari was telling me you guys have a pretty distinctive stage presence, jumpsuits and kind of Devo mm-hmm. look. Is that, is that correct?
4: Yeah. I wish we were Devo, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mo- a lot of times monochrome. Mm-hmm. Monochrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Energy domes. Energy domes and everything. The red hats that look like staircases. <laughs> that
1: would be amazing. The little ziggurat energy domes. <laughs> have you have you ever seen Devo Live? Oh, yeah. I've seen Devo Live, but you, have you seen Devo Live? No. You should see Devo Live.
4: Are they still playing it on? I don't know that.
1: Yeah, I think Jerry Casali. Um, this is a very strange piece of personal trivia, but my ex-wife used to date Jerry Casale. Oh, yeah. whoa! There you Just go. out of random strange <laughs> there trivia, you have it. but ah. they were touring. I think he is the oldest member of the band, and I think he's in his like late sixties or early seventies. And I think Mark Mothersbaugh only does like movie soundtracks now, so he's hmm. like hanging out at home <laughs> doing yeah, doing stuff for Futurama. Was he? Did he do Futurama? I hmm. think. Fit
0: in. I, I have all the soundtracks.
1: Yeah. Anyway, Defo. Defoe. Um, <laughs> the rest of the band, they three piece. What do you guys? Uh, where do you guys play around Chicago? Um, well, we're playing. We've been playing a lot of
4: like DIY places, mm-hmm. um, basement houses. But we played Martyrs uh, in like January, early January, I think. That was a great show. Is um, that the benefit show for? It was the benefit show for okay. Rylan. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Tell us a little bit about that for people that don't
4: know. Um, so basically, Rylan. Um, in the span called Monarchy over Monday, he was caught in the crossfire, basically, like, the police in pursuit. I don't know everything about it, but the police were in pursuit of a robber, and he got caught in the crossfire. And I think he got shot somewhere in the arm, and he was at the moment, like, unable to use it. And so it was kind of just a fundraiser, like, for Ryland, just, like, to help him play music again. Um, Because he was a Lane Tech, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, he was a Lane Tech kid that got shot in the crossfire. And when, when the um, Avondale Ramblers were in, they were telling us about that as well, Yeah, I believe so. So that's great that you guys are playing that. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for doing that, man. Oh, that's awesome. That's a fantastic thing. Um, where else are you guys playing out? Um, well, we're playing Uncommon
4: Ground tomorrow. Cool. Um, then we're playing Place Trigger Studios um, Friday. Okay. And then I'm doing a solo show at Beat Kitchen February 23rd. And then after that, it's kind of we're taking a little hiatus to yeah. record.
1: Cool. Where are you going to record it? Um, we're recording over at Tracks. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. So, what do you guys hope to do with the new album? I mean, you've got the demos out. The stuff sounds great. So, thanks again for for presenting it for us. But what do, what's your guys' aim to do? You guys going to try to go on a tour this summer, or what's the scoop?
4: Yeah, definitely. Like probably hopefully like a week long tour. I'm in two other bands right now, and like we've and Bailey Mendenbruger there and the same to other bands. So we're kind of just like within that whole slew of things. So, which helps with us having the same schedule, but yeah. So we're gonna be on tour with other bands too. So hopefully we'll get like a week
1: tour in there. Yeah. That'd be great, dude. One last thing we always like to ask bands when they come in, you know, we've been asking, we've had a lot of bands do this and and we're really grateful that we can get bands in here to do, uh, to play Studio A. But we've been asking a lot of bands about the nature and the collaborations they see in the Chicago scene right now. A lot of people come in and tell us that it's been a really great time for them to play music because people are very welcoming and very uh, eager to go out and just play. Have you guys found that to be the case?
4: Yeah. It's like insane. Like the DIY scene, especially Um, like, in literally every genre like hardcore emo hip-hop like everything there's like something somewhere for everybody and the, the, the mixed bills like tomorrow we're playing a bill and Sky Melchi is on the bill with us i love him like just a rapper and like bills are just like completely yeah it's so diverse and it is like really i we like just got involved with it but it's such a welcoming and beautiful place
1: that's amazing and you're still in high school right
4: you're, no, no, I'm 20. You're
1: 20, so you're. Yeah. you're Where are you in college?
5: Or
4: I was. I took a year at Columbia College okay. and wasn't enjoying it, so took a semester off. Now I'm
1: taking some classes at Oakton. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool, dude. Very cool. Well, thanks again for coming down and doing this, man. More information on Frico is on F R I K O. It's Frico Chicago on Facebook. It's F R I K O on Spotify, but I believe it's. Let me just double check that it may be Frico Chicago on Spotify too because Spotify is a bunch of weirdos. No, it's just Frico. That's cool. Very cool. And i Frico
4: Music on Instagram. That's cool. Cool well hey man thank thanks you. for joining us
1: thanks so much it was great it's kind of weird to play just to, like Taari, though isn't it you know we're, we were clapping in no, here. I, I loved it best acts in Chicago it, play it, just it's true man <laughs> I love it
4: this room is amazing thank well, you so much
1: yeah you, man. hey next well week done. we've got uh, David Teese he's the producer director and creator of the Oscar nominated movie Peter Butter Falcon Rush Darwish who is a candidate for the 3rd District against Dan Lipinski who doesn't return my phone calls and Maureen Newman <laughs> uh, and Thompson Springs are going to be here playing so it's going to be a good show thanks Nico John, thanks so much. Thank you, Nico. We'll see you all next week on Radio Free.